Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Post Game Podcast with Jeff Eisenband. We have Turner Sports' Brian Anderson coming up, and he, of course, in the second round of the NCAA tournament, had the luxury of calling the one game that all other announcers want to call, Duke's March Madness loss. So he was on that call for Duke's loss to South Carolina in Greenville. We talked a little bit about those games. We talked a little bit about what's ahead for him in San Jose, where he'll be calling the West region. I gave him a little preview of Gonzaga based on what I saw from the Northwestern game. And, of course, he acknowledged that uh, I talk about Northwestern too much. I'm not ready for the offseason. We also talked about Chris Weber, his broadcast partner. And really, I mean, in my mind, not that you care what I think, but I think Chris Weber has become a star in the industry. And him, he agreed. So that's all coming up here on the Post Game Podcast. Welcome into the Post Game Podcast with Jeff Eisenman, and right now we have Turner Sports's Brian Anderson, are your are your ears still ringing from those South Carolina fans? <laughs> Man, that, that's uh, they did ring. They legitimately rang for uh, about four or five hours. I, I had a hard time getting to sleep that night because it was so loud in there. It, tr- it felt like one of those, you know, classic Big Ten matchups, like in West Lafayette or the way Northwestern has been recently at Welsh Ryan Arena. It's been really loud there and. So it was a cool feeling, and you don't normally get that in the NCAA tournament. There's a, you know, you get the neutral crowd. So it was a great opportunity to be in Greenville. I'm glad that they made some decisions politically to um, to allow them to be a viable option for the NCAA. And uh, the first tournament window since 2002 there was a roaring success. I feel like I should I should let people know that I did let you know before that I am a. Northwestern graduate that comparing a Duke loss to Welsh Ryan arena was not just random right now. <laughs> that was not it. random, but it felt the same. I love that. I love that. And how those, when you're in the building, um, how loud were those UNC fans cheering against Duke? Yeah, we, we talked about that on the air. So we, both Chris Weber and I, my partner, we, we took our headsets off. We have these great headsets, they're noise canceling. And so you, you kind of get in a bubble there. We took them off and I go, what do you think? Of all the fans that are here, let's on a hundred percent scale. What do you think of uh, how many North Carolina Tar Heel fans? And it, we we came up with a number of twenty percent. And so there was a pocket of North Carolina fans and their Carolina blue that stayed. North Carolina played the first game of the night in Greenville, so they all remained. And in this rare, um, ironic company, you had uh, North Carolina and South Carolina fans, which aren't exactly you know, the greatest of friends either. Uh, they were all joined arm in arm rooting for, for uh, South Carolina in that game and rooting against Duke. It was, it was very interesting to see. And we had some great images. Our director, Matt Lip had some great shots going into commercial and whatnot of South Carolina's success with North Carolina fans jumping around in the seats. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're a, I'm not a Carolina transportation expert, but you know, a lot of people were talking about because it was in Greenville, it was like a home game for South Carolina. I mean, Durham isn't that far. Google Maps tells me it's a three-and-a-half-hour drive, and you think the Duke fans, I mean, were they just waiting to make the trip here to New York, or was there really not that much of a Duke presence in Greenville? No, I think there was a Duke presence. I just don't think it was it was the overwhelming presence that it would have been had 
had the games been in Greensboro and had those teams been there, obviously, you never know if if they would have gone that way. But the, that site was originally supposed to be Greensboro and mm-hmm. House Bill 2 and, and the bathroom situation there um, has pulled a lot of championships. Um, and the NCAA has pulled seven different championships. So that's why it was in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm not sure if people had tickets or just... I don't. I don't know if there was. I wouldn't say there would be a boycott, but I just think South Carolina fans gobbled up the tickets so fast once the Gamecocks got in that bracket that there just weren't tickets available uh, as they would normally be for a three and a half hour drive. And you know, Duke fans are certainly used to uh, moving on, and I'm sure there are a lot of Duke fans that said, "I'll catch them in the in the regional rounds." I mean, that's legitimate. That would be something if you're a Duke fan and you've been to as many Sweet Sixteens as they have you would wait for that because you would not be expecting, nor would you even want to see an early weekend or a first weekend matchup. Oh yeah. The, the uh, market for those tickets that was supposed to be, you know, Duke and Villanova fans here in New York, those uh, they're selling right now. Um, But how much, how much time had you spent in Greenville, South Carolina before this past week? Believe it or not, I've spent a lot of time there. Um, When I was working at golf channel, we would go there every year for one of the great tournaments on what was then known as the the uh, nationwide tour now it's called the uh, the web.com tour but it was uh, basically the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro Am of the nationwide tour and we would have big celebrities and we were in the same hotel that I stayed at when I was with the Golf Channel so it was a thrill for me to be back and I know what kind of gyms uh, Greenville is first of all and it's a really cool little quaint little town and a really great downtown setting and uh, all of that activity is is right down there. So I've actually been to a Hootie and the Blowfish and a Pat Green concert in that <laughs> arena we were in. So I was I was very excited to get back. A lot of good memories. <laughs> what do you know? What year that Hootie and the Blowfish concert was? That was part of that golf tournament. That would have been two thousand three, four, five, something like that. We went every year. There was a new entertainment act. So yeah, that was back when Hootie was kind of rounding it out, but still coming back and on the golf scene. Before he went country. <laughs> That's pre-Ronaldo Balkman, South Carolina in Greenville. <laughs> That's right. Very good. Um, had Chris spent a lot of time in Greenville before, and you were with Chris Weber and Lewis Johnson. And, I, I mean, I was telling you before, I just think, um, you know, maybe I'm, I'm raving too much, but I was watching even Chris last night on TNT. I think he has evolved into really a, a top former player color commentator. Yeah, no, I I love it because, you know, I spent a lot of time in Major League Baseball and my biggest concern with Major League Baseball as the superstar players are not gravitating towards commentating in Major League Baseball outside of Alex Rodriguez, who looks like he's he's taking that bit. But um, Chris puts a lot of time in it. I've worked with him in the NBA before. I love I love him. I love the guy. He's a great character guy, great team guy. You know, he's perfect with our group. He comes in with with ideas, creative ideas. He wants to pass along basketball stuff for all of us so we can then build packages and whatnot so he brings a lot to the table he's a great teammate he looks after people you know he's uh once he's in the bubble you don't get that superstar thing um i think he has to keep a little bit of that around him because he does you know traveling with him and working with him in a setting you really get to experience how difficult it can be for a guy like chris weber i mean you he gets a lot of love and a lot of praise and a lot of pictures and photos. And, um, but you also hear a lot of meanness coming from the crowd too. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard the phrase time out yelled at him 
during these uh, these few days in Greenville, you know, especially from uh, Duke fans and <laughs> North Carolina fans. So there was a there was a lot of bit of a lot of that, and you know, you get a lot of Fab Five, Fab Five, and so it's a tough existence for him, I would say. But uh, he puts a lot of effort in and being into being a great broadcaster, and and he's better every year, you know. And I, I love him. I think it's uh, he's a star for sure. He's I call I tell my Turner folks I said he's a he's an A-lister for me you know he's he's a future ace on the mic and probably is right now actually yeah that's it's that's all a good point because I was listening to him I was listening to you guys in the first North Carolina game and he was praising Roy Williams and talking about how great a coach Roy Williams is and I'm thinking he's praising you know North Carolina fans are watching this they they the only thing they can think about with Chris Weber is the timeout game mm-hmm. and you know it's we can belabor the jokes over and over, but it was Chris Weber going into Carolina country for Duke and North Carolina, the two teams <laughs> that beat the Fab Five. Has he ever spoken to you directly about the situation? No, other than to say, you know, he, you know, because I asked him, man, it's tough being you, isn't it? He goes, yeah, but it's all good. I mean, they're just passionate fans. He has a great attitude about it. He compartmentalizes, compartmentalizes uh, those moments. And, you know, I, I think for me, watching him, function and operating obviously that he didn't allow that to define him at all and went on to have a hall of fame career he's a nominee and my expectation is that he will get in uh when we get to the final four he's going to be a basketball hall of famer so no he doesn't bring it up and you know it's it's like everything else in his career and i remember as a reporter i was a sideline reporter with the san antonio spurs when he was playing and he wasn't the easiest guy to deal with or get access to and I, I told him that and he goes man I had to keep a little bit of protection and a, a keep some some distance because that's the way I just needed to function to perform and I respect that so I got no problems with that and you know he wasn't the greatest guy to deal with when he was a player but um, I haven't found that to be the case at all matter of fact he's probably one of the better teammates that I've worked with in the broadcasting arena that he he reaches out. He's very conscientious about everybody, takes pictures with everybody on the crew if they want. And so he's he's five star for me, man. I'm I'm a huge fan. No, I mean, last night, I don't know if you, you watched the, the all players thing on TNT. Um, but I mean, he was the host of the halftime oh, yeah. of the halftime show. And that's because, you know, I'm watching this. I, I did broadcast in high school and college. Um, and I know, you know, that that isn't just that is role isn't usually meant for a former player but because he has so much experience he just goes right into it and you close your eyes you wouldn't know that he's a former player he's great he's a great personality he's got a great show going right now you know the true tv this prank show that Mm -hmm. he's involved in he's involved in a lot he's involved in the music industry you know he has a studio and so he's a very hands-on guy and you know i think i think he's capable of handling a lot a lot of different genres and avenues of, uh, of a career now. And, you know, he's, he's great on the air and he'll, he'll, you know, he's the lead guy at Turner and I'm glad that he's back in the NCAA tournament. He had a lot of back problems last year and uh, couldn't even get out of bed for, you know, whatever it was, eight days. And so that's what he was supposed to be with us last year with my crew, with Steve Smith and I. So I'm glad he's back and I enjoy working with him. And turning, you guys are going West now. You're going from Greenville to San Jose, uh, four teams who you didn't just call, no Big Ten teams, you call the Big Ten. Um, so what do you know about these four teams? What have you been researching so far? Well, you know, the good thing is they are marquee teams and, and 
you know, you know enough about them to have an understanding of the star players are always easy because, you know, for, for me, I cover college basketball. I do about 20 regular season games, whether it be Big Ten Network or Fox Sports 1. So I cover the Big East and the Big Ten, and, and I do a lot of non-conference games with those networks as well. So I'm seeing a lot of teams. So the, the stars are easy. West Virginia, Gonzaga, Arizona, Xavier, those are high-profile uh, programs. It's just, when, for me, it's diving into the rotations and what the rhythm is because I, w- I was not with them. And when you're, especially for me, I did the first four. So I had four teams to cover for the first four and then and then eight new teams to cover for my first weekend. So I didn't watch much of the other teams outside of Greenville, outside of my bracket. You just don't have time. So, you know, yesterday, today, my plane trip to San Jose and then tomorrow for the practices, uh, you know, I have video and we'll dive in. Uh, with the practices and you want to learn the rotations and how they're being used and who's hot right now and Xavier's a program I'm very familiar with Um, so you know I've been I started with them so I can check them off the box and I'm amazed at how they've reinvented themselves after losing Edmund Sumner I thought they were going to be an NIT team when they lost Edmund Uh, so I'm really happy for them. I love this matchup with Xavier in Arizona, and it's another Sweet 16 matchup with Sean Miller and his former protege and Chris Mack, and they know each other very well. They know their tendencies very well. So uh, there's a lot to go with on this, and then you know, and then you just start locking in what the matchups are, and we'll we'll start to get into the basketball stuff once we get there for the practices tomorrow. Um, you know, we know what we've heard and read, and what we've seen on video, but then it's great the access that we get to talk to coaches and players. And that's when that's kind of what we want to bring to the audience is what you can't read. And when we get to game time, what we might be able to to glean 10 minutes before a game in the tunnel or, or with the player in the layup line, say, Hey, how you feeling here? What do you think here? What's the matchup? Those are the kind of things that you just keep yourself as empty of a canvas as you can to be able to add and then deliver in a quick turnaround because that's what people don't know yet. And we want to be able to deliver things that people don't know aside from the basic story of these programs and how they got here. So I have to ask about Northwestern because I I was there in Salt Lake city. Um, You saw them, you know, throughout the big 10 season. Did you follow the Gonzaga game at all? I did uh, just on video. Uh, So I watched, I watched the last five minutes live. Uh, we had production meetings and practices to cover, so I just watched that entire game yesterday on video. Which would mean that you turned it on right around the time of the goaltending. Exactly. I saw the goaltending live, which, you know, in our circle became a group text message on <laughs> protocol, how to call, how to what would, what would we say, what needed to happen. Our belief is, my belief, and everybody I've talked to, this is the year where they they – I know you're not asking me about this, but I'll tell you anyway. But this is Thank the year you. where they talk about rules. And I think goaltending is going to be one that goes into the rules, uh, goes into the reviewable rules uh, from the coaches committee. Um, I think this is going to happen because it'll probably be like the NBA. Because that moment, uh, I think, changed the flow of that game. Even though there were five minutes left in the game and a lot could have transpired, I just thought the momentum and, you know, Colin certainly deserved the tech and you got to give him a tech there and, um, but man, to, to not, well, think about this. If you can have a goaltending review, you have to call that a goaltending first, like in the NBA to go review it. That mm-hmm. rule doesn't exist in the college game now. Mm-hmm. So if we change the rule now, I think officials are going to be more willing to call goaltending 
knowing it stops play, knowing you can go to review. That's my experience with the NBA. So you actually see that called a lot more when you're really not sure. And it's so hard to see with the naked eye. Mm -hmm. Um, You just see it called with the idea that give myself an out to go look at it. So I think that's going to come up. I mean, that's one of my predictions for this this year's rules evaluation. Is that a texting thread with Turner or other announcers? Who's in that my, thread? my announcers, yeah. my And uh, there's a few other analysts on there. I mean, I think Dan Bonner and C. Webb and I and uh, Smith, Steve Smith, and just guys like, okay, here's here's my interpretation of the rule and here's why you can't. And, you know, because the NBA guys, uh, they want to know why you can't go to review that. I mean, they know that there's no rule in college basketball. We've all been briefed. But they're more asking, asking philosophically, like, why wouldn't they have this in play yet? And so, you know, I'm, I'm giving my responses on what I think, why I think, you know, um, I, I, but I do think it's going to change. Uh, and Brian, just uh, I know you got to go, but before I let you go, are there any other rules you talk about, potential rules changes that you've noticed in broadcasting that you think might have to happen soon? I, I do. I think the only one that has a legitimate chance and has some legs which is surprising to me, but I keep hearing it is the uh, they'll keep the 20 minute, 20 minute halves, and they are considering uh, dumping the fouls after the 10 minutes. So it would basically work like quarters where you wouldn't be in the bonus. Once you get to the 10 minute mark, you would wipe the fouls clean, wipe the bonus clean, and then you would go to another format. That That is one that I would have said three months ago, no chance. But as I'm going around, uh, college basketball right now, as I have, I'm, I'm hearing that come up in a lot of different uh, areas, unsolicited too. So I feel like that's at least going to have a strong chance to be discussed and passed. Yeah, next that's, year. that's being tested at the NIT right now. And Correct. One, one note for you, just because you're calling the West Region, uh, Gonzaga actually had seven fouls or had six fouls, excuse me, before the first media timeout of the second half. So if you're wondering how Northwestern got back in that game, I don't, right. think, I don't think that was coincidental it's Coincidental that they were shooting one and one for the last 16 minutes. It's amazing how you always bring it back to Northwestern, but you're right. It's a good point. <laughs> it happens somehow. Uh, Brian, they will not be there in the West region. Good luck. Enjoy Gonzaga, West Virginia, Xavier, Arizona. That's Thursday and Saturday. Yes, that's it. We're, we're ready for it. San Jose on TBS Thursday night. The doubleheader starts 730 Eastern. Thank you so much. Brian Anderson on the postgame podcast. Thanks for listening. Remember to follow the post game at the post game on Facebook and Twitter at the underscore post underscore game on Instagram. And you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Jeff Eisenbahn.